everyone. Welcome to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. This is our Christmas episode and our review of the year. Uh, and we're on, this is episode 48. Yeah, I'm, your 48. Ho- I'm Evan. And I'm Tom. Uh, and yeah, happy Christmas, wherever you're listening to this. I hope you're uh, having a great day um, and you're in that pre-Christmas mood hype. Um, on today's episode, we're just going to do a review, as I mentioned again, of 2022 what happened in science uh, what were the we have them broken down into different um uh sections so i'm going to cover the weirdest article i saw all year funniest article i've seen and uh the most controversial science that we've seen and tom what what sections are you covering <clears throat> most exciting science stories of the year um most exciting paper oh no the paper that made me think and the most disappointing science story of the year but okay. it's worth to emphasize that these are very personal. Oh, how do you mean? Well, I just picked them that what has affected me the most rather oh, than what yeah, made yeah, the yeah. biggest I think, impact. But to be way. fair, like a, a year in science and in various words, we say science here. So and I think we are covering in different fields rather than natural sciences. So there is no way we could cover everything. So there is going to be a slight bias to what we find interesting. Hopefully that yeah. translates to you, the audience who's listening. <laughs> um and yeah i hope you enjoy hope you'll enjoy today's episode yeah. um so how what do you think tom how how would you reflect on 2022 personally it's a mixed pack isn't it yeah it's a little bit mixed but uh i think positive most of the time i go to see ufc which was nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was I, funny because I, the reason I asked you, because like, I remember I listened back to our 2021 wrapped yeah. episode and it was like, I asked you and you were like, I don't earn do, I don't recall doing anything. And it was just so negative. You seemed in a bad <laughs> place back then. <laughs> uh, you're like, I didn't know there was nothing of note in 2021. So um, uh, it, it's great that it did improve <laughs> <laughs> thank you it did improve yes i'm life got better i'm better how are you how was your 20 yeah i think it was a good um i think it was a good year i i started a new job in halfway through the year um and i think it was just like i don't i think i got to do more i got to see more things we got to go to see uh Oktoberfest. we got i got to go to new york so i got to go to back to america for, for the first time Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's it was a it was a good year overall I think it's weird because it's like the last preceding two years were just so um nothing happened uh mm-hmm. so it's hard to like a- anything any little bit of improvement it is going to be would seem I take it well no it just seems contra- it'd be contrast to what you did to the previous two years so it's always going to look good because there's, there's the so much are so is. bad so it's hard to judge it's not a, it's a hard one to judge because you're like any even going on a holiday somewhere abroad is like wow that 2022 was such a better year <laughs> so okay but i just genuinely think that my 2022 was a goodish year like yeah yeah, yeah without yeah. even comparison to what? the previous years just without, on its own oh, even if you're looking yeah. before pre-2020 just like standalone 2022 overall yeah it's all right <laughs> it's all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> B- meh isn't it it's no like, it's, it's not it's not like i'm not happy with it it's like yeah but look, you tip it more in the balance of you and pr- it was a good year rather than a bad year 
that's what I mean. Like it is, it was a good year, but like, it wasn't like a perfect year. Yeah, but it was a it was a solid year. It was a good. But you're never gonna get one. a perfect year. Like what's the perfect? No, year? no, you never get a perfect one. No. Well, maybe but, uh, next year when you when you um finally graduate when, when I'm done. Oh. I was I, that was a question. I was like, you 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 said it in the podcast last year. The fifteenth of December was going to be an exciting date for you. So that was like three days ago since we're when we're recording this. Yeah, I was supposed to be finished. Yeah. I know, 15th of December. Uh, so actually last Thursday, it was a four-year anniversary of me arriving oh, for gosh, the first time to the Netherlands. Crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, it didn't meet the deadline, but I have an extension. So hopefully um, I will meet the next deadline. But yeah. it was interesting because on Thursday we had our Christmas event. And uh, yeah, it was just nice because only a few people knew that I was like my four years and was just like, yeah, you're, nice. you're the oldest by far there now. <laughs> they're, they're postdocs and other people. Um, yeah, I don't like how that sounds, but sure, I'm the oldest one. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. 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 I remember, I, and like, I remember when you landed there and you booked this Airbnb in this place. And, oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know, was it all the same night, but I, I must probably was a little later. We watched Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we were, we like, uh, and then I think we went outside, and then you were like, I seen a mouse there. And yeah. I was like, I, was think, I think you're just saying exaggerating. And then, of course, we seen one run right across the. the I almost the floor. had a heart attack. Like, that was, I can't believe <laughs> And you still paid that Airbnb. I was like, you should have got your money back. <laughs> imagine imagine you put that as a review but well, yeah look what i did is what i did <laughs> yeah yeah and then finally before we get into it you're well i might as well mention spotify spotify wrapped oh okay what so was... i know your your yours one is normal well uh, no i wouldn't call it normal <laughs> okay Mine is a bit um <clears throat> i i i still have like tame impala as the big one um and then like i had metric i don't know if you know metric um tell me they they were the do you ever watch scott pilgrim yeah they do that some of the song they wrote some of them songs like that one black sheep okay you know do you look, i don't know no okay. i don't know but okay i know the movie and i know the band <laughs> okay yeah so that's uh that that they're the what my I think most listened to roughly. Okay, what are your what are your top uh, genres? My top jo- genre was genre. Mo- modern rock. I think it was. Okay. I don't want. And to... and your morning started with. Do you have that? My morning started with. Uh. Uh, I think. What was your morning one? <laughs> Sad boy, heartache, hopeless, romantic. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, my top song was "Goodbye" by Post Malone. I played it twenty-seven times with most listens on the twenty-sixth of August. Right. And uh, yeah, I have pop number one, then rap, then rock, then Polish pop, and then Polish punk. Polish punk, yeah. God, yeah. I can only imagine what Polish punk sounds like. The blog, like poetry. Blink, one, Blink 182 Polish. <laughs> no, it's poetry. And I'm also an early adopter, so I've got my finger on the pulse of new music, always seeking the next hot thing. And if a song is trending, I'm on it. God, that doesn't <laughs> sound right to me, but 
Because <laughs> like, like that Post Malone one is such an old song, so Yeah, but like I like my I like my classics as well. Yeah, but my listening personality, um, it's the Nomad and it was a sonic explorer who listens far and wide but once you find a song or artist you love they're with you always kind of like a musical souvenir so there you go i like that it's just and i do think that's true because like spotify sometimes i'm like why are you recommending me this song in this playlist uh like i i've never listened to the song and it like somehow thinks because i can't i don't skip the song because it's just in the playlist it's like mm. he loves this song. I'm gonna recommend this all the time. It's like I've never ever listened <laughs> to the song on its own ever. Spotify okay. algorithms pick, uh, get your get your stuff together. I <clears throat> I see. Okay. Anyways, well, it wasn't the worst wrap up, was it? No, no. I thought it was pretty pretty good. We didn't get to m- blend our playlist together, but maybe that's a good thing because <laughs> we wouldn't listen to each other's music anyways. <laughs> no, I think I think we like each other and I think we grew stronger as friends <laughs> in the last 12 months, but I don't want to see your playlist. <laughs> oh God. Just diver- We're just so divergent on, on music. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> I was meant to ask as well, did you get much um, reaction to your dyslexia episode at all yeah one person was surprised that i was dyslexic i guess they they never knew no it's not something well like i think sometimes i say that i have a learning disability and people think that i'm joking i'm just like no i i do have self-deprecating and uh, one person texted me saying thank you my mom was moved to tears after listening to my uh struggles and uh one yeah and one person texted me saying they didn't know they didn't realize i was um yeah i was subhuman yeah and uh nice it was nice nice to know you know maybe helped one person it's nice you know and um i just like to think of myself as a role model for all all the (laughs) dyslexic people out there yeah 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 you definitely are i think thanks mate going as far as you have thank you and before we get so before we get into the news our, our review of the 2022 mm-hmm. uh, science year uh, i wanted to include somewhat of a christmas story a okay. christmas study mm-hmm. it's, it's very loosely christmas um but uh yeah father christmas or santa yes um he actually has distinct facial features so you're like what what does this mean mm-hmm. so if i was to tell you to describe santa yes what <laughs> what would his facial features be uh yeah round face round face big cheek cheekbones i would big assume cheekbones. okay yeah uh maybe s- not 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 huge forehead small enough forehead i okay. would say <laughs> interesting and uh chin wouldn't be sticking out wouldn't be like a habsburg yeah but he chin, has a beard yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah he has a be- he has a white beard he's a white beard uh never really paid the- paid attention to he his can't really ear. See- Ears, so I don't know. Yeah, I know, yeah, you can't really see his jawline because of the beard. I would say strong jawline. A strong jawline. Strong and as well, jawline. the rosy cheeks is another thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, an alcoholic look in a way. But like, if I showed you um, pictures of elderly bearded men, right, and Santa, right, or, like just the face, yeah, you think you could tell the difference? Hundred percent. You think so? Yes. Interesting because yeah. Um, Researchers have now used fish computer facial analysis to reveal that 
um, Santa or Father Christmas mm-hmm. has actual distinct facial features that are traditional to him, providing evidence that because we all wanted to know this, um, that Santa is distinguishable and immediately recognizable. So machine learning was capable of finding a difference between these other groups of adult or elderly bearded men mm-hmm. and Santa. Um, so they plugged in images of Father Christmas, adult men, and elderly bearded men collected from Google into a facial recognition algorithm. This generated facial features, ve- vector representations of each face containing multiple data points, and they were subjected to machine learning, which was able to accurately predict the face of Father Christmas. So it could tell, basically, if you just give the image, if it was going to be Santa or just a, an old man with a beard. So if, it, if it's a Santa or did someone just rob in your house? Yeah. <laughs> in your house yeah um so yeah like, what do you think this is this be, does does this have any impact at all do you think this is even worth the research i think it shows what do you think it shows okay so i i presume the image of santa is based of the coca-cola ad i i well like that's the origins of santa um, well, they are, well, there was a Saint Nicholas that was yeah, the original yeah. santa but like um, n- none of them look like the traditional santa today isn't it they were the ones who came up with what I hate. The commercial well, Santa Claus doesn't look like the original bishop. I think that's what you mean. Well, no, is it because he, it was Coca-Cola had the red. They were the ones who came up with the red suit and the red hat. Yeah. But I'm not like, did they come up with what he, with the beard and. Yeah. Was that, did he always look like that? No, he didn't. Yeah, they come up with the whole thing. Oh, the okay. beard, so what the, did the red Nicholas outfit. It just, like? it just so, it's just a malnourished bishop from India. Huh? Malnourished bishop from India. He was an Indian lad. That was in the he, he, I don't know if he was of Indian descent. I mean, he could be on the mission in India. For, but how did? Why is he Indian? Like what? What? He that was about? on the mission in India. Yeah, I get that. But why is he Saint Nicholas? Well, that's his that? name was Saint Nicholas, and he was like leaving presents to poor Indian children. And that's oh, so the that tradi- was the origin. That's the tradition started, and then that came back to Europe. Yeah. Oh. And then the Coca-Cola revolutionized it with, like, you know, the commercial Santa Claus, the North Pole, and the whole time, and the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Well, so anyway, it just shows how how we are globally influenced by uh, an image of a secular Santa. Yeah, that's in a, in a weird. It, it's kind of linked to what I was going to say about what the story shows. So it it kind of shows that there's a prevalent and a bias prone. Of what a traditional Father Christmas or Santa should look like, yeah. Um, and although it's a bit of fun, it shines a light on concerns raised in the field of face recognition about bias because um, you're going to plug in what you think these what it should look like, what you're trying to establish. You're like, okay, this is all the examples of what in this example Father Christmas looks like, but you're ending up going to exclude people because you're biased on what it should look like so if for example in genomic medicine Mm -hmm. many inherited conditions have characteristics of facial features which can aid diagnosis but may be subject to biases if outlier faces are excluded from the cohort so this is like a real life example that could be used Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that i don't know any disease that's exclusively diagnosed based on facial diagnosis but i'm just saying this could be a reason that there should be caution when using these complementary facial analysis tools 
as the technology develops that you should definitely be using clinical assessment as well um, yeah yeah for sure for sure but yeah i suppose and I, I, facial facial recognition is a is an area that's kind of like really booming now as well with tiktok and all these filters and everything but your dad it's there is a worry there with like there we is actually, always bias against if you have certain facial features they might be highlighting you flagging you so yeah just be scary. regular <laughs> don't have any features that would make you stand out that yeah? make you look shady yeah <laughs> just be one of the many yeah no be original be be look whatever you want to look like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah what okay so do you first who do you want to start maybe with the I'm, I, I can start with my most exciting science stories of the year yes so i think it's without a secret that what i have found most exciting is the nasa james webb space telescope yeah i think it's just so big you know and you just can't <laughs> their telescope or the news <laughs> <laughs> the news and like what it can bring and it's just so complex and i just mm. thought yeah it, it must be the most exciting uh, i seen story. Uh, a news so there was a new story about the kepler store solar system it's like these seven planets that are all in this habitable zone to the star so they're all they have the james webb telescope focused on this uh area to see um, if if what? if anything could be there in the atmosphere of the the but it's weird though, isn't planet? it? You just kind of you just point it out there, and you just kind of hope yeah, yeah something's gonna be there. But it's, it's so and crazy that it can tell so much info from just like looking at it and 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 doing all that kind of work. Yeah, it's on it's it, using so. like a infra infrared. Yeah. So the web's primary mirror intercepts red and infrared light traveling through space and reflects it onto a smaller secondary mirror, and the secondary mirror then directs the light onto a scientific instrument where it is recorded. Yeah. And uh, and the infrared observations are important to astronomy because recently formed stars and planets are often hidden behind the masses of dust and absorb visible light. Infrared light can penetrate those obstacles. Mm. So infrared light will go around the dust grains instead of bouncing off. So we can see that with the web telescope, uh, and that the <clears throat> and that's one of our top goals to see how stars grow with their young planets. Said John Matthew, web senior project scientist at NASA. Right, and yeah. they are they have uh, yeah. So it was launched on the twenty fifth of December, twenty twenty one. And on July 11, 2022, uh, Joe Biden previewed the first f full color image from from the Webb Telescope. Yeah, the infamous photos now that um, <coughs> contrast exactly. with the previous the the Hubble te telescope. Yeah, it's the the deep field uh, images. And uh, some other the things that the Webb Telescope has recorded is the Southern Rig Nebula. This planetary nebula, an expanding cloud of gas that surrounds a dying star, is approximately 2,000 light years away. And Webb's powerful infrared eyes bring a second dying star into a full view for the first time. So if you go on and Google like Southern Ring Nebula Webb Telescope, you'll be able to see uh, these images. And uh, Webb's took Webb's look at the cosmic cliffs in the Carina Nebula unveils the earliest rapid phases of stars star formation that were previously hidden. Looking at this star formation region in the southern constellation of Carina as well as others, 
Webb can see newly forming stars and study the gas and dust that makes them. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, an amazing achievement what they've managed to do. I know it was delayed and um, but it's it's great. I think it was went this time last year it got launched. It was at like Christmas Day, I think, or something. So it's yeah. it's just great that it all went off fine, and we're gonna get. It was the twenty fifth of December last year. Yeah. Evan, yes. Yeah. Sure and uh, I have I have another thing that made me excited. Mm-hmm. But this is more related in my to my own field. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, inherited eye diseases. Mm-hmm. So uh, Trinity College Dublin, so the place where I went for my masters. Oh well, they had rep- a gene Irish ther- rep- an Irish pe- news story. <laughs> they had uh, they have uh, showed in the paper that there is a gene therapy for the dry form of uh, age-related macular degeneration. Um, so the age-related macular degeneration is common condition that can lead to vision loss. It can affect up to 10% of adults over the age of 65, and are est- <clears throat> and there are estimates that uh, age-related macular degeneration will affect um, 288 million people worldwide by 2040. Researchers from the Trinity School of Genetics and Microbiology look at the dry uh, age-related macular degeneration, which represents between 80 and 90% of all cases and currently has no treatment. So the dry AMD is caused by the appearance of small yellow deposits called drusen, which is kind of like lipid-like particles. There's a mix of lipids, glycoproteins and proteins and such, which forms under the retina. These are accumulated waste product of the retina, which can grow in size. And this can cause the retina cells in the macula that process lights to die, causing vision to become blurred. This form of disease usually worsens slowly. And they developed a new therapy that targets the mitochondrial function in cells that are malfunctioning in AMD. The therapy is an AAV-mediated delivery of OPH and DI1 gene, and it directly targets mitochondrial function in cells that are malfunctioning. In the retinal cells. Yeah, in the, yeah they target the mitochondria in the retinal cells. And the mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cells <laughs> because they produce energy. I think this is like everything. <laughs> this is exactly what people learn when they start learning it about biology. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's a powerhouse of the, of the cell. So the Trinity team said that the performance of mitochondria uh, dips greatly in dry AMD, and this is linked to the deterioration in sight. In a study published in the journal Clinical and Translational Medicine, the team used the virus to access the affected cells and deliver a code that could offer a laf- lifeline for failing mitochondria. The researcher said this therapy method showed positive results in multiple models of dry AMD, which gives hope that it could one day be used as a global form of treatment. Yeah. So nice, they, they developed the AAV, which is never that easy. They test it in different animal models and they see improvements. So, so they still have to do it in humans. Yeah, so, yeah. so hopefully... Um, but that's the next step, is it? It says so. It has to be because they made a big... safe in animals. Yeah. And, and they it worked in animals. Yeah. yeah. And, they ha- and they had a big announcement, a uh, big press release over in mm. Trinity. So We should definitely try and get them on. Okay. I'll do that <laughs> because yeah, uh, like, and yeah, there was like other exciting stories, but yeah, I think were, the web telescope here. and then something from my own field is, um, yeah, yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that malaria vaccine that was developed this year mm-hmm. was definitely the one I think was 
one of the most exciting for me because the malaria has such huge impact on um, on 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 our adults and children, but definitely more children because it, it impacts their growth. Um, so I think to have something there that could help reduce um, the, the deaths of mm-hmm. from malaria is a is a great is a great thing to have. So um, I think that would have been definitely one of my highlights of the year. And yeah, obviously the James Webb uh, telescope as well. Yeah, so okay, so for me then I'll go into the funniest articles of the year. So one of the ones I found was, I thought was interesting, attractive female students no longer earned higher grades when classes moved online during COVID-19. Um, oh, so it, And they said this was similar to what another study where they showed that gap between tips earned by attractive wait staff and their peers narrowed while everyone was wearing masks so i suppose it's not that surprising everyone kind of knows well i know for waiting because you're obviously if you're a guy and you see an attractive waiter waitress mm-hmm. uh or a waiter yeah exactly you, they you're gonna be like I, i'll give them a good tip and they'll be impressed by me and like they won't but it's you're delude yourself into thinking that but i suppose you didn't you never think oh um in grading uh, of a person that it would happen so yeah tell me about this so basically i and i found this on reddit and it was like the hot most highly upvoted science paper of this year so you just know it was these guys these people mostly guys who were like yeah that like this is why i struggled in school because i wasn't attractive and i was like i don't think it was that but (laughs) (laughs) and it's like them dumb them dumb girls they they get the higher grade because they're pretty and it's like yeah yeah the typical oh God. behavior okay. you would but think. that's not true <laughs> well no obviously it's not true but you know when they just got upvoted these people who had these grievances on their shoulder oh yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> they're just yeah. like oh this is their way of getting it out anyway so what was the study so in, the study investigated the effect of student attractiveness on university grades during both in-person instruction and remote instruction and this design allowed the study author to better isolate the effect of appearance since student-teacher interaction was much lower during this remote instruction compared to in-person instruction. Um, so they obtained data from five different cohorts of engineering students. It was in a Swedish university, mm-hmm. resulting in a final sample of 307 students. It was actually unusual as well when I read this as well because they had to grade the students by attractive. So they had to... <laughs> it's a bit odd because this oh is again God. subject to bias because you're yeah. going to have to grade them on their attractiveness like like the origins Unless of facebook you have a chart. maybe but they said they had in the in this article i read it said to obtain an attractive attractiveness score for each student uh mehik which is the guy who w- was organizing the trial had an independent sample of 74 individuals rate the attractiveness of the students faces so they obviously had 74 people who rated all the students and then they came up with a score um it's a bit you would think ethically wise like is that the right way to do it because um i don't know <laughs> it just it a bit, just sounds it's a bit. fishy yeah yeah and it's just like it's almost you know how that's how facebook are <laughs> became that's what started. i thought about yeah, yeah. so i suppose for science for science uh <laughs> this is what they say <laughs> no, no. Uh, and i'm sure they didn't release the scores but i suppose yeah well, it's still there now this yeah. data is there Should so when analyzing the data mehik found first found evidence of the beauty premium in traditional in-person instruction so 
for non-quantitative courses. So this is like business, economics, I'd say languages, mm-hmm. marketing that were taught fully online. Student, student attractiveness was positively correlated with student grades. However, this effect was not found for quantitative courses, so maths and physics. Um, so this is kind of makes sense, I suppose, because um, this, this was actually in line with what they taught because non-quantitative classes tend to include assignments and presentations that encourage student-teacher interaction, while quantitative classes are often graded entirely through final exams. So, and like... You can you can't you can't waffle your way through a maths exam. You have to either have the right answer or you know logically you can't just bat your eyelids and is, <laughs> get the answer that way. So Is biology and chemistry considered considered quantitative science sciences? I don't know. Um I'd say chemistry wouldn't be because that's again uh like maths formulas. Okay. Biology you might get away with because it is a bit of descriptive writing and there is um, uh, like I I find that you have to do like gr- uh, assignments and group work and stuff like that so Yeah because you did like fair amount of uh, assignments and presentations right? Yeah yeah I, you, I did anyways. We did. Do you think your good looks helped you get better grades? <laughs> That's why I got a 1-1 one, one and you didn't Tom. Is that it? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, it's all makes sense now. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, I'm just ugly bastard. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, oh yeah. So the results next revealed that the switch to online instruction eliminated the beauty premium, but only for female students, which is kind of interesting. So this was in non-quantitative courses, attractive females saw a decline in their grades with remote instruction, while attractive males continued to enjoy a beauty advantage. So do you have any... Really? Why do you think that could be? Do you have any... They have have an explanation, or they have tried to explain it. No, you know what? I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm very... I'm not touching this. Just tell me. (laughs) I'm not. So the findings suggest that discrimination more likely explains the beauty premium for female students who no longer had higher grades when classes turned remote but for male students who continued to see higher grades <coughs> with attractiveness even when student teacher interaction was low beauty seemed to be a productivity enhancing attribute so they're saying that um even though the guys might be more beautiful it's it still actually helps their productivity whereas it's not really seen with women and they think that male students who are physically attractive tend to be more persistent and have a greater influence on their peers and that they tend to have more social skills, which means they work better in groups and have been linked to more creativity. So that men... And some lads. The, well, these, these attractive males, they they seem to be able to work better. They they seem to ha- be able to have a... better to get on in groups and be able to work be, uh, in groups. And by the virtue of being considered beautiful well i don't know that's this is what they think that it could be this could be a reason for it um i don't know uh i don't really understand that reason <laughs> i don't know I, and it just said since non-quantitative t- courses tend to involve creative assignments and group works men who are attractive and thus more so- socially skilled and creative might more, might be more likely to excel in this coursework whereas I don't females like what... don't um seem to work uh as good or as are as um are leaders in the group 
to help better group working. This is what they're arguing is. So beautiful. So they say in the paper that beautiful females cannot work with other people, but beautiful <laughs> males can work with other people. Well, no, not 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 that extreme. It's more that they can work better. So they they're better at. Uh, their social skills and better at or uh, at being leaders and better at organizing um and it's like a I have say, problems with that paper they say that it um they they are it's a productively enhancing attribute which isn't the case for women I don't know uh like I just, I, uh, maybe no, we should <laughs> I don't know how much more you want to go into it but like I suppose you can open a can of worms and be like and, and use a lot of assumptions about what pretty how good looking women can and use their attributes to to influence but i don't want to go into that at all <laughs> i i i don't know i think i have to read that paper because i don't really like that paper yeah you can have a look i, I it's again it's a cycle psychosocial paper so like, again i always think there could be a lot of biases in yeah. how they just do this trial and it was only during a small period in engineering it mightn't be applied to other it was engineering students, so it, it might not mm-hmm. apply to all the students anyways. So I don't know. I just don't like these. They're very dividing, these type of <laughs> conclusions. Well, I suppose this them. is they're trying to explain it. Why is it not for both? This could be one reason. Maybe. Yeah, I don't really like um, it. And then the other funny story I thought, because I didn't you get recently get tattoos, more tattoos? I got uh, more so, tattoos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I they, saw that. You've seen this headline. So basically it said, a study found that tattoos and piercings are more common among those who experience childhood abuse and neglect. Do, do you think? How, you... Many, how many do I have? <laughs> do you think? I'm better you than think... you. Okay. <laughs> do you think I am someone who experienced uh, abuse? No, I don't. It's, I don't know. It's a... Um, it's, it's a... <laughs> I don't think so. People who are just more artistically minded, maybe I don't know. They they feel like they want to have stuff on their on their skin, but like right. it is it isn't like it, it's not unusual. Like if you go into like the highest the top jobs of the world, mm-hmm. and like how many of them have tattoos, or who and compared to maybe that people who are like not so at the lower end of the economic. Mm-hmm. social economic status but i suppose does that mean that people at lower end are like have child abuse uh, childhood abuse um i don't know i don't um, i don't know i don't know i don't I, I wasn't abused as a child <laughs> i i just like uh i just like getting tattooed yeah and i think the feeling associated with tattooing is therapeutic in a way yeah yeah but what so, what scratch what itch is that scratching oh i, I don't know it's li- Cause it's, so recently I've got like two tattoos in the space maybe of a month yeah. and uh, it was uh, yeah I just needed to it's a release to do it it's, yeah, a, release it's a release of um, yeah. I don't know I, it, maybe it's because I, I think if you're have li- very little control in your life or you find you have little control um, it, it's again reason like why people self-harm not saying that's the same but like <laughs> oh, God. but that's why they do self-harm and, maybe, and, and maybe ta- tattoos is just another way of it's not I'm not saying it's self-harm but it's another way of the, like people just getting back control because they're like I can control this um, artwork that's going on my body and I never thought of, about it this way yeah and it's kind of uh, it, it just releases that I don't know pent up 
tension. Um, Definitely, that's really something for me. But um, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a good idea to think about it as a an attempt to gain control mm-hmm. of something. Because I am a person who likes to be in control. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, then your next topic, then Tom. So paper papers that made me think. Mm-hmm. So I think this, this year, was going. I was wondering how you because this is a kind of a a tricky enough heading. But. So the paper that made me think the most this year was my own paper. Oh, cool. Yeah. It, so yeah. You want to promote your... <laughs> please, yeah, please look me up. Please uh, <clears throat> cite, cite my year, shall <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's just, it was a lot of work and uh, we had to, uh, yeah, there was loads of drafts. I think we have like 10 drafts in my, uh, uh, right, yeah. in my folder. So a lot of time was spent into how to do this paper and how to write it. And it's not even like a paper that will change the the way we think about inherited blindness, but yeah. it was nice to get to, to get it out, out there and it's finished now. And yeah, it talks about pseudo-exons and how they cause uh, Stargard disease and what can we do with antisense oligonucleotides to prevent it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, so it was, was nice. I think that's a good answer. Uh, but I have also another paper that made me think. Oh, and yeah, I, but, and as well, congrats on the paper as well. Thanks, mate. <laughs> thanks, mate. I know you put a lot of work into it, and I know I'd say it definitely seemed like where, wh- how, when is this going to end? How am I going to get this published? And yeah, it, it all happened. seems worth it once you get that uh, accepted. You get email. that DOI. <laughs> yeah, DOI, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, another paper. Acute multidrug delivery via variable bio bioreactor facilitates long-term limb regeneration and functional recovery in adult Xenopus levis. So this is the paper that we talked about in episode 35 about regenerating limbs. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, the What's brain behind it is Michael Levin. Michael Levin, who we had on the podcast. And we talked to him on episode 39 as well. And uh, I don't know, but he lives in my head rent-free. <laughs> all of his work, all of he does, it's just, it's in my head rent-free. I think yeah. it was the biggest highlight of the 2022 for me. Having him on. Except for the UFC. It was, yeah, it was like huge. And now I've, um, so the way I look at his work uh, in this regenerative medicine is that you know, conventionally, you would look at this regenerative medicine through the lens of IPS development, transplantation, and Stem then differentiate, yeah. yeah, into and then differentiation into a functioning cells. And Michael's lab relies on the internal information that is already inside the cells, yeah, and that you just promote this information with appropriate uh, electrical impulses, yeah, yeah, and then the cells would just be do. able to read their own information that they already contain yeah yeah and execute the function of growing and i just think this is like such a wild idea it is very mind trip it's like very much rewriting the whole what we understand about biology because it's always like rna to dna to protein whereas yeah. like is this something this bioelectricity else? is just and being given that i come from like a genetic backgrounds more than yeah, physics. It's like I'm having difficulties understanding like the science of his <clears throat> of his work. But yeah. the, I think the main concept is like it's so 
eyes it, opening for me because I keep I keep thinking like how we could use this bioelectricity in the regeneration of eye cells. Yeah. Because sometimes with the genetic treatments, if you missed your uh, windows of uh, opportunity for treatment and the cells are dead, then the gene therapy is not really gonna do anything because you need you need the cells for the gene therapy to work in the first place. And if you could just yeah, somehow use this cell bioelectricity and manipulate it in the smart and the right way, you could like, there's really, I feel like there's no limitations to yeah, it. Like yeah, the only yeah. limitation is us finally understanding the algorithm and, and how it works. Mm, yeah, it is. But, it is. So I, that's what I, I keep thinking about. But it, and as well, like it, it would leave you down to the rabbit hole because you're like, okay, I can manipulate the cell with these electric bioelectricity yeah and it's almost like as as he talked about on the podcast was it intelligence of um at every level like these cells have the intelligence to do to grow and do whatever they need to do with yeah. very little impact and you're like okay well is that an is it intelligent is it an intelligent um this is a cell on its own intelligent that it can do all this well, and it also kind of challenges you on your definition of what intelligence is, right? Yeah. Because is intelligence just a piece of information that is inside the cells that cell can use to execute certain function or whether intelligence is, you know... Something bigger. Painting a piece, uh, painting like a painting or writing a m music. and st Is that like, that could be like emotional intelligence and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, like, what really is intelligence and how well, do we it, define it? I think the it? big for this thing is, like, is the cell, is there something how it, like, there's, I know, there's signals going into the cell that's telling it to do, to differentiate into whatever, but yeah. is there something there, like, how it knows what's, what's dictating? Is it literally, like, changing the pot potential, the voltage, whatever? Or is there something else? It's, like, is there something intelligent in that that's dictating it? I suppose... It's a weird concept to think about, but like it is kind of when you I read the papers, it's kind of like how is how does it know? Like how does it know to do this? So, I think, but you have to draw a division between intelligence and consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, well, like, I'm not saying the cell get, is having thoughts and be like, okay. what, "Who am I? Where am I? <laughs> what am? What's my life about?" I'm just saying, <laughs> it's like it's it's interesting that it can just do this stuff without seemingly intelligence uh, yeah so. like his work just blows my mind away i just this guy mm. I'm like just because of this podcast gave us opportunity to talk to him it's just so great yeah i i really yeah a role model the start of the podcast is to talk to michael levin <laughs> i swear to god you nearly you nearly think i would like but he i i really admire the guy so yeah, yeah rent free <laughs> shout out mike 11 um yeah so then i'll go on to then weirdest article of the year or what i've seen um so this was like a clinical trial um mm -hmm. for Shig shigella so if anybody oh. doesn't know shigella is a bacteria that causes human shigellosis it's during infection typically caused dysentery and it's one of the leading bacterial causes of diarrhea worldwide and it's estimated to cause um, the number of deaths between 74,000 and 600,000. And this trial, <laughs> I want to ask, how much would you want to get paid to ingest live Shigella 
or how desperate would you have to be to want to take part in a trial to ingest just once off or is it like a uh, okay, i'll do I it for a thousand euro a thousand really is that is that cheap well i'll talk you through how this trial went so <laughs> this guy jake eberts he he actually tw- i think he tweeted this live tweet when he's in the trial um to, when he was doing it just like give publicity um he so he participated in the trial where he drank live bacteria to see if he would get dis- <laughs> dysentery and shocker he did <laughs> and it was a particularly excruciating case um, he's one oh. of the cases that got the placebo because in this trial they had to either get the placebo or uh, they get the vaccine for Shakila. And I still think like this is crazy that they, they, they just give you a like they give you nothing, like no <laughs> protection. <laughs> and like uh, he was yeah, so he was one of the cases that got the placebo <laughs> instead of the vaccine. So he had no protection. And <laughs> he said, what followed were the worst eight hours of my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he, but he said he'd do it all again, provided he was paid. <laughs> uh, which, fair enough, he's not... Because you'd be like, oh, I'd do it for science. I'm like, okay, you're lying. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> being honest nervous. about it yeah. here. So he actually pay- earned around... I think he said more... It said more than $7,000. But <laughs> this dude nearly died... <laughs> and he knew that but he knew and he knew the research was being done for a good cause so he said i don't want to make myself out to be mother Teresa here i would not have done this for free it's a big ass to ask it's a big ass to ask someone to get dysentery the entire time i was like wow this is an awful disease (laughs) no yeah Uh, and i just got really emotional probably because i was a bit delirious but the thought of small children in the developing world dealing with this (laughs) so you become more compassionate as you suffer <laughs> while he was on the toilet <laughs> you think about your life um yeah so it's it's the current phase two trials to see if the vaccine is both well tolerated and effective at preventing severe disease um and it could be tested in a large-scale real-world trial in hundreds of thousands of kids around the world because this is where the the main yeah. important um target population would be where children but this is yeah, a final, fine, which is a final regulatory move before the vaccine could be put on clinic shelves. Um, Dr. Wilbur Chen, who's running the trial at University of Maryland, is hoping for 70% protection. He said if the vaccine doesn't demonstrate at least 50% protection against severe disease in his trial, then I think then the we will have a vaccine that really fails, unfortunately. So they have a high bar to mm-hmm. reach to get there. Yeah. Um, and I know people are like, oh, but it'll work in half why should you not try it but they said look there's no point going through all this work if yeah. it's only going to help uh less than 50 percent of the people or yeah. like even 50 percent like <clears throat> one or two i like i wouldn't if i had dysentery and i'm like having to get a medicine that like might only work in one and two people like no um so the guy he drank the shigella in this oh, salty liquid he started his illness started about 40 hours after he drank it he woke up with cramps and some chills feeling like he had a stomach bug oh, his symptoms quickly progressed into fever diarrhea and bloody school oh. uh, and he said he felt i could not move adding that getting up to the bathroom or get his vitals checked required a herculean effect effort was he at least in the hospital for the duration? Yeah, they of were that, monitoring, like, but okay. it was so crazy. Like they, they had he had to go to the, so he had to go to the toilet on his own, do whatever his business oh. in certain like containers, and then give them to the nurses. And they had to monitor all his fluids just to see, like because they needed to check 
how was the Shigala looking in his stool guy. Um, I mean, when he did it. So um, he had to go up to the bathroom to, and then he had to wash his hands. And then as well, like he had to ble- use bleach and flush the toilet. And like this dude is like dying basically. And he had to do all this work. Um, so he's at every movement he- in the bathroom, he would have to get up, wash my hands, grab a paper towel. I would lie back down on the ground and just sit there for five minutes. So they had to begin prescribing him many liters of rehydration solution, which he described as a, si- a sad Gatorade. <laughs> a salty, sweet water designed to keep him functioning without any yummy flavor or bright coloring. Uh, so he had to lie down under a pile of blankets. His fever rose to, what's 103, fa- de- 103 degrees Fahrenheit? I'm not sure what. So it was 39 degrees he was up to. Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's high. Um, and then after seven hours, he had to be put on IV fluids and given the antibiotic. And then his within four hours, his condition did start to improve. And he went from death's door to actually being lucid and able to walk and talk. Um, so they did have to give him, like, antibiotics? He yeah, that didn't could, couldn't just walk it off? No, he definitely wasn't. Okay. okay. I was exhausted, I felt miserable, but I didn't feel fear. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this is something I signed up for and it will pass and I'm not going to die or anything. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of trust put in there. I know, like you... Medical oh, stuff. You're glad at least the antibiotic worked. Just to be... to be Sorry. To be that in a bad of a state and then you're I like, know. okay, I need to depend on these reviving solutions to help me. Um, yes, and the deterioration was so rapid. Like, yeah. So I just thought it was weird uh i suppose it's like how this is how they have to do it like literally give live shigella to people who are on a placebo <laughs> so yeah yeah well but it was done for purpose right it was a good purpose yeah and hopefully they could come up with a vaccine for it um uh, yeah well i'm clearly a, a sucker for this because if i do this for 1000 euro <laughs> yeah 1000 yeah, like, okay, that's way too little i would definitely want at least I don't know. I, I don't know if I would even want to do it. I, is money worth it? To know I could nearly die. He didn't die, I suppose. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, you you are in the hospital and they do give you antibiotics and they mm. like do take care of you. It's not like that they send you home and yeah, just call us if you feel bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it is in a good cause. So maybe why not? It, it all worked out for him. It moment. all worked out. Yeah, and it's not like it's unknown disease that they test in like sure we, we know about Shigella they know they have protocols It'll be yeah fine. they have something yeah. in place yeah yeah okay um so then on to our last sections what's your last one is most disappointing science story of the year mm-hmm. that makes you cry well it's just okay so i have the pick to human heart transplant yeah we and covered uh, it before yeah and the cop 27 yeah so as is disappointing science stories, mm. I think it's fine. So I'm gonna start with the pig to human heart transplant. So the first ever xenotransplantation in itself is not disappointing. Yeah, it's like rather, I think it's still a bit massive. It is massive. It's huge. Step forward that yeah. he survived for so How, long, but I suppose. Well, however, the results of the transplantation and the consequences could be worrying. That's, okay. that's that's what I'm thinking, you know? So uh, on the 7th of January, and Gosh. why this is an important date, Evan? Your birthday. Thank you. <laughs> on the 7th of January in 2022, at the University of Maryland Medical Center, David Bennett had received a landmark heart transplant from an unusual donor, a genetically modified pig. 
This type of transplant is called xenotransplant uh, or trans transferring cells, tissue and organs between species. This uh, promises, this is to solve this uh, shortage and reshape how we think about human longevity and human organs. Xenotransplantation has seen significant advances in recent years and with the advent of the CRISPR-Cas9 genome editing, which made it easier to create pig organs that are less likely to be attacked by human immune system. David Bennett had been on cardiac support for almost two months and couldn't receive a mechanical heart pump because of an irregular heartbeat. Neither could he receive a human transplant because he had a history of not complying with doctor's treatment treatments instructions. <laughs> oh my god! So there's that now. So Give it, he, he wasn't like he was going to die, but he wasn't willing to comply with. I'd say what happened. Ha, maybe he has received a previous transplant, didn't comply. The heart would have to be then. You know, he messed up the heart again, and then they're not gonna give another heart to someone who is wasn't just willing to. Yeah. put in the effort or you know? look after it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so given that he otherwise faced certain death, the researchers got permission from the FDA to give Bennett a pig's heart. So Bennett's procedures proved, su proved success successful and more teams try similar surgeries. Regulator regulators and ethicists will need to define what makes a person eligible for a pig organ. However, Two months after the transplant, David died and the doctors didn't give an exact cause of death, saying that his condition had begun deteriorating several days earlier. Mm. So the transplant in itself is a huge accomplishment and it didn't, in the immediate moments after the surgery, there was no immune reactions uh, engaged after the yeah. transplantation. And, you know, if successful, this would open a door for huge, like, ethical deliberation and scientific deliberations, how how to do it right and such. And, you know, with that surgery, there was all of this momentum built into it, mm. which was really important. What's more, 41,000 transplants were performed in the US last year, including about 3,800 heart transplants. But more than 106,000 people remain on the national waiting list. Thousands die every year before getting an organ and thousands more never even get added to the list, considered too much of a long shot. Mm. So you had like this absolutely re revolutionary thing to do to supply a huge, animal. A huge yeah. people who need the help. Yeah. And now with the guy dying and we are not I'm sure there are people know why within the circle, but you know, to the wider public, it wasn't announced the reason of his death. Mm. Was it? Was it again? Did he didn't comply with some instructions by the mm. from the physicians, or was it the heart or whatever? But I feel like this could put a stop on the momentum that yeah, had developed yeah. in the field because I saw it again. I'm gonna draw similarities to my own field. I saw this happening in in our field when there was a treatment released into the clinical trials and it wasn't so great and that, that killed the momentum and uh, and all the other treatments it, it, were it also cancelled. It reminds canceled. me as well of that time where that guy, he had that, he had, what's that disease where they have no immunity? Um, it's, it's a... Oh yeah. I can't, I can't remember anyways, he's like yeah, no yeah. immunity and they got a genetic treatment but they needed to use these viral vectors to tr bring it in. Mm -hmm. this gene so he would have an immunity this is very very much b basic concept anyways but 
Um, and he died because the the viral vector that brought it in killed him. Even though yeah. he was, he would have, and I like people would be like, "Oh well, he was going to die anyways. We we should like still um, keep going with it." But it shut down all the research into genetic. It's the momentum that is getting killed. Uh, yeah, because they're like, the- if if it's killing one person, then we need to go back to the drawing board. Um, and it just and it it made people realize, well, we need to be more cautious about this rather than yeah. just plowing ahead so it killed a lot of momentum in genetic so in don't genetic get me wrong the death of the patient is also always like number one uh thing that should be avoided and i'm not trying to say that you know it's somehow it's his fault for dying and yeah, then yeah. affecting the the field but it's yeah it's very unfortunate that he died nobody ever wants that to happen but mm. there is this you know this secondary wave of consequences which may might not be visible straight away but i would feel that to a certain degree it could like halt mm. the progression of the field you know especially yeah. that things like that can scare off possible investors mm. to put money into clinical trials and such so i thought yeah. like it was a it's such a good potential in that story that could not only revolutionize someone's life but also a whole field and helped mm. so many thousand hundred people and it's just kind of yeah just didn't work out the yeah, way we would it, hope it kept, so. yeah you just hmm. it's it's an unfortunate because like he he it, it was you needed to do it yeah but maybe and now but now because it wasn't successful it's going to set it back whereas if it was successful yeah it could have revolutionized everything so yeah it's just that's how i thought about it like you know yeah yeah it definitely is a the surgery in itself is a big thing and that they were able to do it it's a big thing but yeah yeah it's good Uh, good. now co-op you ready to hear about co-op ready to be depressed (laughs) so uh, it was held in egypt in november 22 Mm -hmm. and uh, what was discussed was energy sky scarcity because of the russian invasion of ukraine uh this is also caused uh, the energy scarcity is also caused by tensions between two biggest uh, emitters uh, china and us tensions between the global north and global south uh, moreover the seven biggest private sectors all companies made around 150 billion dollars in profits in the first nine months of 2022 yet governments continue to supplement this loot by granting oil and gas companies 64 billion dollars per year in public subsides what was discussed at the co-op essentially five key areas were on the table Uh, mitigation and this has to do with uh, uh, what was discussed in Glasgow to keep the global warming limited to 1.5 degree increase. Uh, but no commitments to this cause were made in Egypt. Egypt, uh, or just yeah, people just were not interested in uh, in the mitigating Mitigation. the increase. Yeah, they had they had other stuff to discuss. <laughs> yeah, uh, phasing out gas and coal. It is necessary that in the near future gas and coal are phased out. The only positive note here is the pledge from India. Yeah. So again, but that's. I would say as well, um, and maybe that's not discussed, but it, I think the whole Ukraine getting invaded by Russia and it's made Germany maybe wake up a bit that, oh, we can't den- depend on this to run our industry. We need to invest in green energy. So I'm hoping that 
I know that wasn't discussed in COP and there's no guarantee it would happen, but you would hope that it would make them push towards more renewables um, mm. in their yeah. in their country. Anyways. Well, hopefully. And the one other thing that, that they also uh, discussed was, le, was it loss and damage? Uh, yeah. So although discussions were held, reports were written, there is an overwhelming cloud of disappointment hovering over the COP. Uh, the European Union is not hiding its disappointment with the climate deal struck at the COP27, criticizing its lack of ambition and warning of an increasingly distant possibility to keep global warming under the 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius target. We have treated some of the symptoms, but not cured the patient from its fever, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said in a short uh, reaction statement. Her deputy, Vice President Franz Timmermans, who led the negotiation on the EU behalf, was more scanting and left no doubts as to his frustration. His final deal does not <clears throat> the final deal does not bring enough added efforts from major emitters to increase and accelerate their emission cuts. It does not bring a higher degree of confidence that we will achieve the commitment made under the Paris Agreement and in Glasgow last year, uh, Timmersman said at the summit's closing uh, plenary uh, event. Basically, loads of people coming together, talking and nothing getting done. Yeah, yeah. All, I, I, I yet remember, again. All I remember was that they, the main thing they got was they had a fund for trying to help developing countries to to compensate for the climate change so that they um were able to tackle it or yes they, that was i think the biggest thing they came away with the rest of it was this like there was nothing concrete really put in place so um, yeah so that's this the the loss and damage fund fund yeah it's a uh, uh, that that was the main outcome uh, of this historic agreement. Yeah. It, it's a financial compensation for the countries hardest har countries hardest hit by the climate crisis, and uh, the breakthrough caped over thirty years of demands by vulnerable nations who disproportionately suffer from extreme weather events, despite their lim limited role in the release of the greenhouse gas emission. So, on the one hand. Yes, but then again, I feel like not enough work is being done no, no. to combat the climate change effects. And I feel like I have, um, I've, because I'm a different person. And then you I, were when? <laughs> uh, last, last year. Last year. Yes, year def definitely. I have actually tweeted at my restaurant in the hospital and I asked them to use less plastic. Oh, wow. Yes, so I, I did that. And, uh, did anything happen? No, but <laughs> I did my thing, and uh, you can you feel know, better about yourself now. I will, uh, I will tweet them again. You uh, should, um, you should join the protesters who throw soup on paintings because that's the other thing that's really helping climate change. See, I'm, I'm trying to be, <laughs> I'm trying to do something, and you just making jokes uh, at it, like you know, I, I am a different person. Well, I person. just think, okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I, I think as John has said previously, I think, yeah, plastic isn't really important to get it out, in the, out of the environment, but it's not the thing that's going to, we need to cut our emissions and we need to cut temperature down. Yeah, but it's reduce, not like... And I I'm like, that's the, that's, that should be the thing we're really focused on. Like, I'm not saying 
Uh, I'm not saying you're not doing something, but really, it, at the end of the day, if there's plastic or not, that's not going to stop. Clo- that's not going to stop global warming. Yeah, but <laughs> so. I'm not going to go to the CCP government uh, <laughs> in China, China, and be like, "All right, what can we do about you know cutting the emissions and stuff?" Like, I'll do, I'll do my part to the extent oh, yeah, that I can. I know. I'm just. Do you know what I mean? I'm just. Uh, I'm just laughing. I'm just just one of the things that a lot of people focus on. I'm just like, well, at the end of the day, plastics isn't the one that's going to really contribute to how. Well, we do find microplastics warming. in the newborns now in the bloodstream. I know, I know, but like in the in the context of global warming, we really need to like stop emissions and cut our emissions, and that's not maybe yeah, plastic production is going to help, but I don't think alternatives is really going to have a bigger impact on global warming reducing cutting temperatures that's what i'm trying to say yeah um, but it's, I, I do think that i still i still think that there's everyone's individual responsibility to tr- at least try and do a little bit better oh yeah like try and eat less you know meat because we have to sure. leave we have to leave the big decisions to i suppose the big governments mm. and are people because they're because they are the policy makers and stuff like that so uh, we can't we can't change policies in our d- daily life but what we can do is you know just have a little little change in our own close environment that that could make a difference you know yeah are people, are people willing important. to put enough pressure on the government so the government's gonna willing to take the big decisions because well the government they shouldn't they're going forget. to be voted out Exactly, the governments shouldn't. But they're going to be that. voted out if they do the d- difficult decisions, and then it's going to be reversed. Look, it's it's just, it's really difficult. <laughs> this is not a political. I'm just, all I'm just saying is like as well, and these people who putting splashing soup on paintings, and I'm like, you're only yeah okay. Your your argument is that you're bringing highlighting an issue, but I just feel like they want to have a pat on their back to say, I've done this. Look what I've done. I, I, I can, my conscience can be clear now because I've done something about it. It's like, what have you done? You've done nothing to really help highlight anything. You're just trying to make yourself feel better about doing something. Like, and and I'm like, well, I don't know what's the right thing to do. I mean, vote in a, a proper government that can help deal with these issues. But I'm just saying this whole thing, what they're doing, I think it's just but, sel- selfish. But... If they do bring attention to the issue, but like everyone wrong? knows, what? everyone knows about. Like, do you really think a country or a government or some a company is going to be like, okay, now I'm going to change because this person is damaging? Uh, not like <laughs> that. They're but not. Yeah, I'm not. Try- I'm not saying that I agree with everything that is being done. What I'm saying is that they, through their actions, whatever they are they constantly keep that subject on the top and they don't let it sink down. So it's mm. always fresh in people's minds. So you always think but about everyone it. everyone knows. I don't, I don't yeah, think but it needs different. any more publicity. I don't it think... It does. I, I, I think everyone is aware. And like doing this stuff isn't going to be like... But, con- but consciously thinking about something and have and being aware about something somewhere in the back of your head is different. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree. I and besides, I think all of I these think, museums they they are not the original paintings. They probably keep the original somewhere in the basement. And it they doesn't were like justify copies. it. I don't think it justifies doing it. It's 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 like self gradually pat on the back that they're like I'm doing something. Look Look, I'm not I've saying done. that I agree with what they're doing, <laughs> but if it, this is your reasoning, I suppose. 
yeah or what they why they're doing it yeah i wouldn't uh, do it probably yeah. wouldn't encourage anyone to do it but yeah yeah this is the world we live in um okay right well <laughs> on that disappointing note um i'll do one more go the on co- most controversial most controversial science story of the year i'll do i won't stay spend long on it because we've done a comprehensive view but again our favorite topic uh psilocybin the <laughs> key agent of mushrooms we should change this podcast to, <laughs> does it work or not psilocybin <laughs> <laughs> because um well like that so in this paper they showed that consuming small doses of psilocybin at regular interver- intervals a process known as microdosing because i think microdosing is this new concept new word that seems to be getting into the consciousness of the public right now mm. um but yeah so doing this microdosing does not appear to improve symptoms of depression or anxiety according to new research and i know people be listening and they're like but jo- evan you were talking about last episode exactly where it worked but i think what happened was they um <gasps> what the, is- the last episode we talked about it in targeted populations where um they they knew the population it would work in. So this was in treatment-resistant depression. So what this paper was looking at was um, whether or not... Whether whether or not it would work in in, in everyday people who have anxiety, depression, etc., etc. And it showed that it didn't work. Um, So what the paper was, was... um, Yeah, the main interest in the topic stems from anecdotal reports of people who microdose and say they experience the beneficial effects. Many people do this in order to feel depressed better, to have a more optimistic outlook on life and to cope with it, depression and anxiety. Um, but like, yeah, again, most research on this topic is cross-sectional in nature. So that means that the, the research asks a group of people at a specific point in time, whether they microdosed and how they were feeling. And yeah, obviously, a lot of people who say they did it felt better, but it's not really an accurate way of like, okay, does it work or not? But in this one, so in this one, they were microdosing, but in the one that you talked uh, last time, they were receiving full doses though, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so this study incre- included a carefully screened sample of 75 participants who intended a microdosing workshop. This is actually in Leiden as well, in Netherlands, so. Um, I, really li- I really like Leiden. I think it's my favorite city, by the way. Yeah, because of this. Um, <laughs> different reasons but keep going uh, so yeah um, so they at the end of the workshop the participants received two bags that contained either psilocybin pills or placebo pills and they were instructed to consume one bag of doses over the following three weeks then they took a two week break before consuming the second bag and they didn't know whether they were receiving a placebo or uh, the, the psilocybin mm-hmm. and uh, in four lab sessions, which took about one and a half hours after self-administering a dose, the participants had completed a battery of tests that measured depression, anxiety, emotion processing, and interoceptive awareness. And they showed that um, they expected that the psilocybin microdosing would reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression, but the effects of microdosing did not differ significantly from the placebo. And I think what the... Um, the researchers were saying was it wasn't that the microdosing didn't work it was because the placebo is just the placebo effect is very real here because if you're told oh this could be a, a drug yeah. 
you're going to t- instantly think it's going to work and you, and again when you're measuring something so there's no like concrete test to measure depression it, it it's hard to concrete concretely say okay this is better than if you were just taking regular pills or nothing at all um but yeah but recently i also saw a paper that showed that the consumption of thc doesn't uh, doesn't uh, help with the pain uh, reduces pain reduce pain was it it ever told it was yeah i think like cancer for joints and yeah and for chemo if you take chemo you can also take thc to reduce the pain but i just think this whole field is just it's gonna be riddled with contradicting test results because yeah uh yeah, these drugs are so like person specific. Even if you know what I'm trying to say, like like two people might not respond the same to the same drug. Yeah, um, and that introduces very variability. It says as well it could be that the dosing was used was suboptimal, needs to yeah. be fine tuned on an individual basis. It also could be that it takes some time for microdosing to take effect, and that merely doing this for a few weeks is not a long enough. Yeah, and as well. Uh, many people in our study broke blind and they figured out what conditions they were assigned to and this is a more generic problem for this type of research the effect of psychedelics are so obvious even at lower doses that it is difficult to prevent people from figuring out what condition they are assigned to if people subsequently figure out that they're in the active experimental condition this can in turn contribute to the placebo response Yeah. so Again. you're obviously going to think um, that you're feeling better can I can I point out something actually? Yeah. Um, so when I was when I was a young child, a young <laughs> person, um, never do this anymore. <laughs> no, it was we, when I was in like a secondary school or something. We had like this uh, school journals things that you would like record stuff from school, whatever doesn't matter. Yeah. At the end of the journal, there was like this guide to drugs and how are they <laughs> called and the possible negative the side effects and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, you know? And like, and they didn't have the psilocybin, but they had LSD. Yeah. Which is based, yeah. Well, it's not the same, but kind of causes, makes you see similar, similar things. Yeah. And they, and there it was that there is a risk that if you, even if you take LSD once, and then after months after that, you could be just walking down the street and then get a flashback from your trip. And that was supposed to be so scary. And now we're learning about people like microdosing. So they just wa- walk around being yeah. slightly high all the time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. in the space of like, what, fif- 10, 15 years? How it's gone from one to the other. It's one extreme to the other. You don't even take once because then you might get a flashback. Like a few months <laughs> yeah. afterwards and now you want to like, feel like that all the time you just want to be all the time high well it's not high i think it's just uh it won't affect your cognitive state it's just to kind of give you uh to try and improve your mood so it I does alter y- your brain chemistry yeah so you get uh, high okay yeah <laughs> um yeah it's 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 a, it's a weird one to like you're gonna have to be on it well, maybe it could it, it you could wean yourself off it over time, but yeah, it's why would you? Because like you, you if you're on if you have if you're on microdosing, mm-hmm. is there any ever a stage where you're like, okay, I can go off this now? So yeah, well, and you don't ever want to be di- di- um, addicted to any kind of tr- treatment you're taking. Not really, kind of no. Um, so yeah, I'm just all, uh, so be wary if you see any of these studies written out that you read 
that say drugs are the best thing ever for our anxiety like look at the context look and see if it worked did they lose a placebo to actually see it or is it just anecdotal asking people in a survey mm. they give them drugs once and then they're like how did you make you feel did you make you feel better like that's not how these can work and i don't know how is the right what's going to be the right way of um studying these it's that's that that's the way that's the new area now it's like how do we find that the beneficial effect how do we measure it who do we give it to that's this is mm. all the areas that it's a pity like it the work was so limited before that we're only getting to the stage now yeah. but i suppose it's good that we're getting to the stage anyway at all so it's yeah it's nice seeing like a uh, corporations collaborations between like life sciences and maybe like you know psychologists or psychotherapists and see how they can work together yeah yeah with the assistance of psilocybin yeah yeah, yeah. okay so that was uh that was our summarized summary of 2022 yes um <clears throat> and that that was we didn't we already done one of our podcasts at the middle of the year so we just wanted to do one of scientists for december um so yeah thanks for listening uh for the year uh i really we really enjoyed it we really enjoyed the recordings uh, i know it changed a bit this season but um i hope you're still enjoying the episodes uh, as, soon as, as soon as i'm graduated we can increase the frequency <laughs> oh don't worry um so yeah i hope you have a great rest of the year enjoy your christmas and spend time with your families mm. spend time with your friends reconnect yeah uh, the borders are open travel <laughs> yeah, meet people yeah. uh, find the motivation to keep going in the next year it's gonna get better and uh, thank you for sticking around and yeah. uh, God bless. Merry Christmas yeah. and uh, see you on the next one. And uh, yeah, hopefully we have, we're looking forward to next year. Hopefully we'll have some good episodes. Uh, definitely bring back some interviews. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's on that note, I think we'll leave it. Uh, have a great one, guys and girls. Talk, yeah. to you talk to you next year. Yeah. Stay skeptical. <laughs> Bye. Stay skeptical, guys. Bye.